Well, um, thank you, Pastor Jung, for again inviting me. Good to see you guys, and I consider it uh, just a joy and an honor for me to be able to speak into you uh, this weekend. I know it's not the normal sort of context and setting. Obviously, I would love to be there in person uh, at a real retreat center and and experiencing the wonderful weather in the winter time of Minneapolis. <laughs> uh, I don't really mean that, but no. But I wish I was there. Um, but this is the world that we're living in, right, guys? This is the, our context. This is our reality. We're living in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, uh, this is crazy, right? And so, uh, but but thank God um, that we have technology. Uh, imagine if we had the pandemic, if COVID-19 happened, um, maybe even 10, 20 years ago, you know, and there would be no way for us to even do something like this. And we'd be even more isolated and disconnected. And so in that way, I think sometimes focusing on um, you know, God's grace and what you do have instead of what you don't have really does. Uh, it's really helped me as well to persevere and endure through difficult seasons. Um, just a little bit about myself, and then I'll jump into my first message. Um, uh, obviously, uh, I'm married. I've got three kids, um, and I've got another one on the way uh, in early April. Um, I don't know if Pastor John knew that. I think he knew that, right? And so I've got another one on the way. And, um, and so I'm tired all the time with, if, with three kids going on four. And, uh, but I love being a dad. And, um, and so it's, uh, uh, but we're getting ready for our fourth uh, and her arrival is coming in a month. So we're really excited for that. And, and then um, I pastor a church here called Bethel Grace. Been here about almost seven years. Before that, I was in Seattle where Pastor Jung came out and spoke for us. And uh, we played a lot of basketball too. Went to even see a movie and it was, it was a great time. <laughs> and so, and we probably need to have, we need to have him come up, come out to Bethel Grace in California uh, when, when things are a little bit better in person so that uh, he can enjoy the California weather and I'll teach him how to surf and mountain bike. I think that'd be really great. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it's really an honor. And uh, I've, I've got three messages prepared, maybe four, but I'm praying about the fourth one, but, uh, um, and they kind of jump, they kind of, I guess would, it, it kind of builds on one another. And tonight, my my prayer is that you would um, just see a bigger vision and revelation of God. I want to see if I can share my screen. If it doesn't work, oh, well. Uh, let me see if, if my screen will work here. Can you guys see my screen? My part? Okay, my keynote. Great, great, great. So that's... Um, so my message today is just simply called Storms, and um, I'm going to read from Luke 8, verses 22 to 25, Luke 8, 22 to 25, and this is uh, God's word for you, uh, for us tonight. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross across, go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Um, and, I, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled and saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. This is God's word. I'm going to jump right into our, our message, our first message tonight. And 
Um, obviously, this is maybe a familiar passage to you if you've been in the church for a while and you, you know your Bible. It's a very famous incident in which a storm comes upon um, Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is able to calm the storm. Now, one of the things, that, by way of context, you have to understand is that the miracles of Christ, whenever he does a supernatural thing, it, wasn't, it was never just for a show. It wasn't just a magic trick. Uh, the miracles that he did, whether it was a healing or something like a supernatural thing in this passage, was always both redemptive and revelational, which means that they weren't just magic tricks, right? They weren't just, um, you, know, uh, you know, magic tricks on display, but instead the miracles were both redemptive and salvific. They were pictures of both God's salvation and healing, as well as it taught something about uh, who God is and who uh, we are. And so now, what, this, what does this miracle teach us? What is it, how does it redeem us? And how does it give us revelation? Well, the first thing for you to consider is that, consider how Jesus rebukes here, how Jesus rebukes. And right away, you see that Jesus rebuking the storm. You see that right away. And I felt like when we were singing these songs, uh, it, it was so in line with, what the message where the Lord was leading us about faith and about storms, right? And, and those were some of the lyrics that we were singing. And, and you see Jesus rebuking the storms uh, that's coming upon them. He gets up, he rebukes the storm, and pretty quickly, everything gets calm. Now, what, is, what can we learn there? You see, back in those days when Jesus walked the earth, there was no greater symbol of death and, and destruction and chaos than the storm. But even today, I, I would say like most people know how scary and how destructive a hurricane or a typhoon or a tornado can be. There is no greater symbol of destructive chaos in the storm. And, and But right away, what we see in our passage is that what? Jesus is able to control storms, that, that he has authority over storms. He rebukes it with the word and it becomes still. And you can only do that if you have, you have leadership or you have, or you have authority over the storm, right? In Psalm 29, um, there is a place in verses 3 and 4 where it says this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And then it says in verses 7 and 8, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. You know, um, when I was in seminary, I lived, uh, when I went to seminary at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Florida. And during my days in Orlando, Florida, I had some hurricanes go over us. And one time there was a hurricane category four go right over us, and I would never forget it. It felt like uh, I was in the middle of a, uh, like a locomotive, like a, a, a train engine. Rain wasn't coming down uh, um, vertically. It was like going horizontally because the wind was so strong, and um, I was scared. <laughs> and so, but, you know, black clouds, it was crazy, you know, and, and um, it was just hard to describe. And the results of the hurricane the aftermath of that hurricane was pretty amazing. I remember uh, walking out after the hurricane had passed 
it was just the devastation. It was crazy. Trees were snapped. Uh, oak trees were, you know, snapped off. And, and uh, it was uh, just everything was blown apart and homes were broken. And, I, you know, it was a, a crazy scene, a crazy sight that I remember. And, and, I, and I remember going to um, Psalm 29 because we were having a prayer time at our church after that, after that hurricane. And I remember uh, one of the leaders reading Psalm 29, and it says, The God of glory, in verse 5, thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes like lightning. So there's nothing that makes you feel more helpless than to stand and watch a hurricane or a tornado. Nothing makes you more, I think, smaller or more helpless. And, and then I began to realize the storm was a, a sort of like a, a metaphor uh, for our lives, that there are circumstances, for example, like everything looks so stable you know, before COVID, right? The things that look so established, the things that you can count on, uh, the things that look so foundational, the, the, you know, there are storms of life. There are forces before which we stand. And when we see them, we're helpless. Uh, we're small. They take people away. They take circumstances away. They take safety away. Um, they take jobs away. They take financial security away. See, the physical storm is just a metaphor for the insecurity of life and how um, tremendously small and insecure and impotent we are before life. But this passage shows us that he is over the storm, not the other way around. It's not the storm over Jesus, but Jesus is the Lord of the storm. He's he has authority over the storm. And what this miracle shows us is that Jesus is God himself. He's deity. There's another tremendous psalm in Psalm 29. Uh, it talks about, you know, how the, again, it says, the, the tremendous psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 29, the God of glory thunders. See, the psalmist is listening to a storm, isn't he? How does he interpret the storm? He says, the God of glory thunders, the voice of the Lord strikes with the flashings of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. You know what it's saying? It's saying that the Bible is not just saying that God's power is greater than the power of nature. It's saying that the very power of nature is like a spinoff of God's power. Nature only has power that's on loan, if you will, from God. And so if all that to say, you know, all power is from God, which means that when it thunders, it's actually, in a sense, God's thunder. It's God thundering. And so when Jesus says, peace, be still, and it all goes away, he's saying, I am that Lord. I can imagine him saying, I, I laugh in the face of storms. Storms only have power alone from me. I am uh, in charge. I, I am the Lord over that storm. I have authority. I'm the king enthroned over the flood. And so therefore, if you take refuge in him, there's not a force on the face of the earth that will wipe you away. There's not a thing on the face of the earth that will strip you away or twist you out and whisk you away. And only in God uh, can you find safety. Because why? He's in authority over the storm. He rebukes the storm because he's showing us that he is the Lord over all storms of life. And I think that's so relevant because you know, storms come into our lives and we're in the midst of a pretty big storm, aren't we? Um, my friends in Texas, I've got quite a bit of friends in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I've got friends in Austin. And 
you know, they're struggling right now because they've got uh, no water, no power. Some of them just got power back and uh, they're freezing and all of those things. And, and they're in the midst of a crazy storm, but we're in the midst of a, the whole world, uh, a pandemic. And I don't know about you guys, but it seems like it's been hard on some of you as the sentiment. It's, it's been hard on us um, at our church. People have lost jobs. Uh, someone on the street, on, on my street, one of my neighbors got COVID and died. Um, you know, my brother-in-law, my sister got COVID and they recovered, but um, it's hit uh, us really hard. Um, people we know financially, health-wise, um, you know, and I feel sorry for uh, our college students at our church as well as for you guys because this is, this is hard to do ministry. Uh, I don't know about Pastor Jung, but I didn't go to a seminary and no one taught me. I never took a class on how to do um, ministry in the midst of a pandemic, <laughs> you know, COVID 101. I never took a class like that. And yet in the midst of these storms, I think this is really relevant for us to hear because the Lord is saying all the storms that come into your life, um, you know, the physical storms is just a metaphor for the real storms that we come into our lives. It's not a question of if, by the way, it's a question of when, they, when they come into our lives. And yet he's, he has authority over these storms. Let me move on to the second thing that I want you to consider. Not just that Jesus rebukes here, but he, Jesus sleeps. Jesus sleeps. Here's what, where the, you know, the rub comes in. I mean, the rebuking Jesus, I think is really great news, isn't it? Because it makes you, it makes me feel good that, you know, okay, I've got storms and things are kind of tough, but I've got a Lord that's in control. He has authority over these storms. And you say, wow, that's great. But the second picture, it kind of makes you wonder, well, okay, he's asleep though. He's sleeping in the storm. What? So, you know, this is good news, but because, you know, I don't know about you. I, I love a nice nap. Who doesn't love a good nice sleep? But you see, how can you sleep when there's a storm, whether it's real or metaphorical, when there's a storm upon us? When you are filled with, I guess, stress or anxiety, when things are tough, sleep escapes us, doesn't it? It's hard to find peace and rest and good sleep. And yet we see Jesus asleep. What this shows us, though, is that, yes, Jesus is Lord over the storms, but that God very often, he seems to take um, really his, his time in dealing with the storms that come. He doesn't deal with storms according to our timing and our wishes and our desires, but he must have a purpose and a plan. And he, he works according to his providential plans for these storms. In other words, he lets them come. He lets them rage. He lets the waters come up. He lets the boat start to sink before he does anything. God often seems asleep in the, in the midst of a storm, doesn't he? There's another Psalm that I want to point your attention to. Psalm 44 and verse 17, it says, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. And then in that same psalm in verse 23, it says this, Awake, why are you, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. In other words, it often seems that when the storms of life come, we're being battered. It looks like we're sinking. We ask and cry out for God's help. And the psalmist there in Psalm 44 says, you know, we've been true to you, and yet you've forgotten us. We've done nothing wrong, and yet this is happening. God, wake up. 
Why are you sleeping, O Lord? And I wonder if you can relate, some of you can relate to that. You're in the midst of a, a valley and you're crying out to God and it just feels like God is asleep, isn't he? And I think what this is teaching is that God will often seem asleep because God will let things come. He lets the storms come. He lets the waters rage. He will always let it go on longer than we think. He will not be hurried. Now, that's not great news, is it? But let me tell you something. If you were to apply this even further, I want you to know this, that the Bible is telling us that in the image of a, a sleeping Jesus, that though God has complete power and authority over the storms, he doesn't usually act the way we would like him to act in the storms. He often seems asleep. He often lets them go on. But I want you to know you've been warned. No, you've been notified, informed. You've been alerted because God does let waves come. God does let the boats look like they're about to sink. God does let things look bad. It, he, God lets the winds come and the storms rage. And you've been warned. So because when trials and tribulations come, as James chapter 1 says, it speaks to this reality as well, that it's not a question of if, but when the, it's a question of when, when storms and trials and tribulations come. And if you're surprised by the storms in your life, you're naive because God has told you, you're a rookie, you're a kid, you've been warned. See, God lets these things happen. In John 16, it says something like, in the world, you will have tribulation. You know, every time in ministry, when I've got issues, when churches isn't going well, or if I receive a, a spiritual attack, or if I get criticism, I'm always surprised and shocked by it. And, and yet I was reading this, uh, uh, this sermon by Spurgeon, and it says, you are a fool not to expect um, spiritual attack in ministry. In other words, not just in ministry, but in all of life as a Christian, it says in the world, you will have tribulation. And that tribulation and trial can come in many different forms many different forms. It could be a small pimple on your face to a major accident, to a health crisis, to a loss of a job, relational issues, spilled milk, as small as that. But it's, there's trials and tribulations and it comes in many different forms, but you're gonna experience that. So you realize if you're a Christian, sometimes I think we have this idea that everything will go well in our lives, that everything will be honky-dory once you give your life to Christ, that things will fall right into place. Because after all, isn't my father the one who owns a, the cattle on a thousand hills? Everything will go well. That type of thinking is delusional. The Bible, friends, nowhere says anything like that. As a matter of fact, you have places again in James 1 where it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into all sorts of temptations and trials. Let me give you a perfect example. You know, it's John 16 again, where, John, where Jesus actually, I think in one line, um, talks about the miracle that we're, that's illustrated in our passage. But in John 16, he says this, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me, that in me, what, what does it say? You may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Let me say that again. Say that again. In the world, you will. Not maybe, you know, it's not maybe some of you who aren't living consistently, completely, holy lives. No, he doesn't say that. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Again, notice that he doesn't say, I've overcome the world, so you won't have tribulation, nor does he say, you 
will have tribulation because I have not overcome the world. No, in our minds, we say if he has overcome the world, then we wouldn't have tribulation. If we're having tribulation, then does that mean that he hasn't overcome the world? No, he, he says, I have overcome the world, but you will have tribulation. What does that mean? When he says, I have overcome the world, if you take that into your heart, and when you go through tribulation, do you know what that means, friends? Because he died on the cross, because he rose from the dead, because it's just a matter of time before he comes and puts everything right, because he defeated death, and death no longer has any ultimate ability to triumph over those who believe in him, because Jesus has overcome the world in evil, you got to realize, like, brokenness and sin and evil, all these things, they are temporary. A child of God is somebody who says the evil and brokenness of this world, world will not prevail. It's a passing thing. There is light um, beyond its reach. It's, it's a, it's, it will pass away. It will all fall into pieces because my Savior will preva- has prevailed and I will prevail in him. A genuine believer, in other words, is somebody who says, Jesus has overcome the world. So what I'm going through now, whatever I'm going through, you know, even in the midst of this pandemic, whatever I'm going through now is temporary. It won't continue. Now, if you believe that and you let it really impact your, your mind and your heart, it's going to pierce you and convict you. Your faith will rise and you'll become more like Christ. Well, in what way will you become like Christ? You'll be more tender. You'll be tested more confident, more humble, more compassionate. But not only that, we remind ourselves that in Christ, you know, nothing can wipe us away, nothing. And again, again, you got to remember, God would not be hurried. You know, I enjoy watching football. Um, The Minnesota Vikings are not fun to watch because they're not very good. University of Minnesota, they're not very good either. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me move on. But I enjoy watching football. And nowadays, you notice like every team puts coaches way up high in the stadium. You, you notice that, right? And they've got these little microphones and then they're talking to the, the, the coaches that are, that are on, the, on the field, right? And they're telling the coaches on the sidelines what's going on. And do you know why? It's because people who are closest to the action on the, on the field, they actually have the worst perspective. The people who are closest to the action very often have the poorest understanding of what's going on. They can't, they can't see the big picture. So in other words, down on the sidelines, the coach is saying, you know, things like, you know, why are they moving the ball on us so well? Why are they running on us so well? But he can't see it. But on the top, where the coaches are on high, they're saying the linebackers are lining far deep. They're not in the right position. But from the top, you can see it, right? You can see everything. Very often, the people closest to the action are the ones who have the poorest view. They don't have the right perspective. See, but God has the big picture. Listen, this pandemic didn't, catch God by surprise. It didn't catch God. God wasn't like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this COVID thing was going to happen. What am I going to do now? God is not like that. You see, God has the big picture in mind. He's sovereign. He's providential. And God would not be hurried. And and think about this. Who in their right mind would want to be hurrying God, right? If there is a God who created all the universe, it's only logical that often his schedule would seem maybe illogical to us, right? It's only logical to assume that God will sometimes appear illogical. It's only reasonable to assume that God would sometimes appear unreasonable because 
He's way up at the top of the stadium. The sleeping God in that boat tells us that he would not be hurried. He's in control. God would not be hurried. God will let the storm come, even though it doesn't seem like it's fair. God will let it rage a lot longer than you think it should. But God knows what he's doing. Let me end with this last consideration for you. Not only does Jesus rebuke, not only does, is he asleep on that boat, but you, you notice Jesus questions. I love this. The questioning Jesus teaches us that we can trust him in the midst of a storm. Well, how? How? How can we trust Jesus in the storm? Especially when it looks like he's asleep, when he's taking this nice, you know, peaceful nap. Well, he gives us this, a, a wonderful answer to that in this tremendously pregnant little statement. You know, after all it's done, right? After he calms the storm, after the panic is gone, he turns to the disciples and says, what? He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Right? You see that in verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? Uh, there's a great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached a sermon on this verse, and I received, I got a lot of insight from him on this. He says that the, the little question, where is your faith, it really teaches us a lot. Uh, it's like the key, if you will, to, to, to how to trust Jesus in storms. Jesus doesn't say, notice, he doesn't say you don't have any faith. He says, where is your faith? And literally, he's saying, get it out. It ought to be out here. What are you doing? Get it out. Why don't you have it? He doesn't say you don't have it. He says you have it. You're just not using it. Where is it? It should be here. Now, if you think that, think about that a little bit further, it, it tells us a couple of things right away. First of all, it tells us that faith, you know, contrary to maybe popular opinion, is not automatic. A feeling, faith is not a feeling. It's not an impulse. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just kick on like your air conditioning kicks on, right? Uh, or your heater kicks on, excuse me, because it's cold over there, right? When the weather gets too cold there in Minneapolis, the heater turns on right away. That's the way it's set. People think, well, if I had faith, it would just come on. Obviously not. Jesus would never say you to his disciples at that moment, you should have felt tranquility. Or in the midst of your storm, whatever valley, whatever hurricane that's upon you, Jesus would never say to you, you should have felt tranquility. He doesn't say, where is your tranquility? Feel it. <laughs> he doesn't say, make your make, just make yourself feel uh, tranquil and peaceful. Stuff your fears. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say that. You see, feelings can't be forced. They shouldn't be forced. What he's saying is that faith is a deliberate action. He says, you have it already. Why don't you get it out? Now, do you see what that means? If you think about that, it means that faith is applying what you know about Jesus already. Faith is applying what you know about Jesus. And I think it's John Piper who says, you don't need to know a lot of things to change the world. You don't need to know a lot of things um, to be a, 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 a healthy, vibrant Christian. You just need, need to know one thing and be willing to die for it. You just need to know the basic things that the Bible is telling you and just live that in obedience. And you can have a genuine faith and you can transform the world. It, faith is applying what you know about Jesus. You see, the disciples were, were being controlled by the storm. 
In other words, they're being controlled by their circumstances and their situations. They're being controlled by what they saw all around them. And Jesus says, don't you know, don't you know enough about me? Why don't you pull it out and use it? Look at what they already know, right? Like, look what they already know. Think about this. If you read the book of Luke, the, the chapter even before our chapter, you know, we read out of chapter eight, but in chapter seven, if you read the whole book of Luke, you know, chapter seven, what Jesus does, he raises the widow's son. So Jesus says, you know, you see me raise the dead. You've seen me heal thousands of people. You've seen me touch, you know, teach people, you know, and you've seen, you've seen that, you know, like not one thing I've ever said has failed to come true. You've seen me say that I number the hairs on your head, right? You know, that I love you. You know these things. Get them out. Where, where are they? They ought to be here. You're not using them. You're not, you weren't applying them. You see, faith is a deliberate action. Let me put it this way. Do you believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God incarnate, born in a manger? CLC, do you, covenant life, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? He, you know, he died on Calvary's tree. He died on the cross for you. CLC, do you believe that he was physically raised from the dead, that the resurrection is real? Do you believe he passed from the heavens and he's seated now on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and that someday he's going to come to judge both the living and the dead? Do you believe, if you believe that, there's all hope in the world. If you can face anything, if you take that out and apply it, you know, you have to say, is it true? Is, is Jesus who he said he is? Did, 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 did he do these miracles? Did he do these things? That's what faith is, is applying what you already know from your word, from the word of God. That's why I see people saying, you know, I wish, you know, I had this kind of faith. You have to think, what do you mean think? I thought faith was just believing. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Where is your faith? Get it out. Jesus doesn't say, well, you should have just thought positively. What he says instead is, you know enough about me, but you are refusing to be controlled by it. You should have gotten it out and used it. Jesus says, you've been shaken because you are not choosing to remember. Well, remember what? Remember this. When they go to him and say, master, don't you care? That we perish, don't you know what they're saying? That's in Mark 4. We're told that some of them were saying, Master, don't you care that we perish? I mean, they were questioning his love for them. And Jesus was telling them they should have known enough about his love for them that they should have been able to handle that storm. But do you know what we have? We have even better. We have something that they didn't have. We have a we have something far greater. We have a greater evidence that we can get out and use, right? The psalmist says, the voice of the Lord thunders, the voice of the Lord flashes like lightning. There was a storm that was even greater than any storm anybody could ever face. And um, Jesus ran right into that storm for us. When Jesus was stretched out on the cross uh, on the Mount Calvary, and the voice of the Lord thundered like never before. God forsook his son for our sake. That was a storm unlike any other storm. Jesus, upon the killing tree, bowed his head. He was stripped bare. He was wiped away, crucified on the cross for you and me. You see, a disciple of Christ, a true, genuine disciple of Christ, is somebody who gets out what you know when the storms come. You say, think about this. If Jesus was faithful, 
if he was that committed to going all the way by going into that storm of God's wrath to die for me, by staying true to me during that storm, I can stay true to him during whatever my storm is, whatever comes my way. Get that faith out. Where is it? You know enough about him. I mean, just, just, you know, I was Roman, I was reading Romans 8. It talks about God's, you know, um, uh, glorification. It talks about God's sovereignty and God's providence. Even all of those things speaks to me. And, and yes, the pandemic is horrible. Yes, COVID-19 is serious. Yes, people are hurting all these things. And yes, you're going through trial and all these things. And yet, where is your faith? Apply what you know about him already. You already have God's grace. You already have salvation. You already have the name of Christ that says, what, his name is Emmanuel. He is with you, even in the midst of this valley, even in the midst of this storm. I don't know when the pandemic will end, but you can still be emboldened. You can still be courageous. You can still be confident. You can still have a vitality in your spiritual life knowing that uh, in spite of the challenging circumstances and situations of your life, you can have faith knowing that our God is a God who is, he has authority over the storm and he went to the ultimate storm for us. If you remember that, if you meditate on that, if you preach that to yourself, then you can overcome anything that comes into your life. The most encouraging thing about this miracle is that the storm does go away. And it goes away because Jesus went to the storm for us. You think about that. How amazing. That's powerful. Sometimes I get up and I'm like, oh, man, this is tough. But I have to quickly go to the word and or go to prayer and remind myself, gosh, Lord, in spite of all the things that's happening, you're still sitting on the throne. Your grace still sustains me. I'm still your child. My greatest identity where I get my self-worth, self-value, right? My identity comes from you, from knowing you. You are changeless. You are, un, you are like a rock. And you meditate on that. And you remember what Jesus did for you, who he is and what he's done for you. And you can go through any storm. You can still be a, a, a powerful light in this world for Christ. And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this first night. Oh, so good to meet my friends uh, at Covenant Life Church. Good to see my dear friend, uh, Pastor Jung. And Lord, I just pray for blessings upon uh, my brothers and sisters. Encourage us and remind us all the more, Jesus, that um, you are able to calm the storm. Each one of us, I believe, are going through maybe different specific storms. Maybe it's a relational uh, storm. Maybe it's a financial storm. Maybe it's um, uh, just health. Whatever it is, or God, maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's some uh, addiction to sin. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, remind us, Lord God, that you love us and you desire to speak into each one of our lives, Lord, and speak to us and remind us, Lord God, who you are that you give us greater revelation of who you are and you remind us of what you've done. In the light of those things, O God, that we will live victoriously, God, every single day and, and lean upon you. We thank you for the gospel. 
We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.